new beginning. Welcome to the Grief Dreams Podcast. My name is Sean Ram alongside Dr. Joshua Black. We're here ready to do another episode for all of you. And again, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for taking the time to listen to us. Uh, really appreciate it. And we hope you enjoy this next one. So on today's episode, we have Flora Baker, and she is a travel writer and author from London, UK. Flora was 20 years old when her mom died suddenly of breast cancer and 29 when her dad died of fibrosis. After a decade of grieving, Flora now uses her personal narrative writing and her online presence to engage with the global grief community and help others through their own experiences of loss. Flora's new book, The Adult Orphan Club, is a part memoir, part guide to grief, which aims to be a companion to those coping with bereavement. Now, you can read more about Flora at her uh, website, which is www.floratheexplorer.com. Follow her on Twitter and Instagram at Flora Baker and find the Adult Orphan Club on Amazon. Flora, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. So, Flora the Explorer. So, uh, are you a fan of Dora? <laughs> well, am I a fan of Dora? Um <laughs> I haven't actually watched many episodes of Dora the Explorer, but I'm very aware that Americans have been brought up on that show. So it's been a useful um, alter ego travel moniker to have because people always remember it. So (laughs) (laughs) it's a great name. It's definitely a great name to have. And so I'm really curious about your traveling and when that started. I've been in school for most of my life, but it's something I really do want to do. So can you talk a little bit about how you even got to exploring the world sure well i'm i was brought up in um brought up in london and my parents were both um in the acting profession both in the theater um so they'd done a lot of traveling before they even had me um and then i was kind of indoctrinated into the love of it by them and i started traveling i think just before i started uni like in the uk we do um gap years very often so i had a gap year um did a lot of kind of bits and pieces and got the bug, I guess. When I was at university, I had a year abroad in San Francisco because I was studying American literature. Uh, so I was in America for a year, absolutely loved it. And I mean, this all ties in very much with my with my grief journey and stuff as well, because my mom had died just before I went to America. And yeah, I think having a year in America was a really good, I don't know, kind of pivotal point for me because I realized how much like I felt very capable being there, um, which I wasn't necessarily expecting being in a completely different country for a year by myself. So when I finished university, I started traveling with a kind of, I guess, a, a more active attitude and, and started. Go- I went to India for, well, Asia for six months and then back to the UK for a little bit and then bought a one way ticket to Ecuador and went to South America for about a year and a half, I guess, um, and blogged that whole way that whole time and yeah I think just traveling became a very good coping mechanism for me for grieving so the two kind of go hand in hand really that's interesting so like why why would you say it helped you cope for some people may give them great anxiety to not to be traveling on their own well that's the thing I mean now I really couldn't envisage doing that kind of travel I think it's been over a decade since then and I've had another loss afterwards, like, in, you know, in, in between. And also I have much more anxiety now. <laughs> I didn't have so much then. But I think for, like, my first grieving scenario, I guess, like, I was very much trying to run away from the grief of my mum dying. So for me, having a kind of a steady onslaught every single day of just very kind of base challenges to have to get through, like, how to get a bus from here to there, how to communicate in this language, what hostel am I going to be staying in, like how do I make friends in this hostel, all that kind of stuff was a really good distraction, essentially. And obviously I really enjoyed doing it, but it also meant I didn't really have to think about the huge enormity of what had happened. And I wouldn't necessarily say it was the best decision. I, I kind of, I don't regret it, but I, I kind of wish I had dealt with it maybe differently. But I think at the time, it was actually quite helpful because it meant that I could kind of deal with it in dribs and drabs rather than, yeah, like the full enormity of it. Yeah. Okay. I get it now. <laughs> I can understand that. 
Right. And that's what it is. Like you got to attack your grief when you're ready. And sometimes, you know, you need those distractions to make it through um, some of the tougher times until you focus on it. But the trick is focusing on it, right? Because you get so used to using that thing to cope, it's uh, easy to forget that we're even coping, you know, like that we still have this thing inside us that we need to look at until something happens, right? And I'm guessing that's what uh, what you're going to talk about here on, on what <laughs> what shifted your focus back to, oh, I got I to gotta still deal with this. <laughs> yeah, upsettingly enough, just ignoring grief for a long time doesn't make it go away. And I, very naively, but I think just the same as many, many people do, I just kind of thought, I'll just put it to one side. I'll just put it in a box. And after X amount of years, it will just not hurt and it will be fine. And I'll have got through it somehow magically. Doesn't actually happen. Um, mm. I moved back to I moved back to London, I think six years after my mum died. And I was doing a master's program in narrative nonfiction writing. And um, the kind of point of the, of the two year degree was to write a book or to write a manuscript that, you know, would emulate a book. And I <laughs> cleverly, thought I'll write about my mum that's a good idea I'll talk about the grief it'll be fine and I pretty much like voluntarily put myself into a breakdown because I yeah I just I couldn't I couldn't hack it it was too difficult and I I really thought that I got through the worst of it but I hadn't actually gone through any of it I had just kind of waited for time to go past which wasn't the same thing and and yeah around then was when I really realized oh grief is like an active thing you have to kind of really work through it you don't just put it to one side it then just got compounded because just when I started dealing with that grief my dad got ill so I kind of ended up having to deal with both my mum's death way later on at the same time as dealing with my dad's imminent and then actual death so yeah it's been a fun decade it's been a really good time <laughs> well you really I think you're learning and in that aspect it's it's that can be seen as a very important thing in the sense of understanding our own emotions as humans, which we're not really taught in school about and how to like actively cope with stuff, you know, and what we need to look at to uh, have a fulfilling life in that way. And so it's nice how you say like life has a funny way of bringing you back. And like, what are the odds you would pick the thing you're running from to write about, right? Like, <laughs> like that's <laughs> for me, I think that's so funny because you would think because you're avoiding, you would continue to avoid, but there was something that was leading you to want to see it. I hadn't even considered that until you just said it. That's hilarious. Yeah, yeah, it's very true. I think, I mean, I'm sure many of your guests have, have been equally uh, creative with their grief. I think it's a very common, um, way for people to express such a kind of intense and overwhelming emotion and yeah I think it's a double-edged sword wanting to create from grief because you don't necessarily want to indulge the feelings that you've gone through but then equally they do kind of power the creative energy so yeah I hadn't realized how diametrically opposed those two things were though that's very interesting <laughs> Yeah, I, that's what I look at. I'm like, oh, that's so like it's because it almost caught you by surprise. And I think that's the very interesting thing about like even our our minds and like where we go. A lot of times we don't recognize sort of the motives behind them. And when you get there, you realize, oh, there's this thing I haven't looked at. There's this thing that maybe I unconsciously wanted to get to, but I never wanted to go there kind of thing. And it just leads you there subtly without you really being aware, because if you were aware, you may not have picked that topic. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right on the money there. <laughs> Flora, what were uh, some of those uh, days like that maybe you had a, a moment where you were maybe triggered or that you remembered your mom and it was a tough day um, maybe before you before your dad got sick and before you decided to write the book, what were some of those days like? I remember being um, in a hospital, in a hotel in Bolivia. Um, and I'd been traveling in South America for at least eight months or so at that point. And I'd been kind of essentially traveling long term for about three years, four years. And I do remember just being in this room and I'd, I'd chosen not to stay in a hostel. I was staying in a hotel on purpose so I could improve my Spanish. 
and just felt so unbelievably alone and was probably having a I mean a mini breakdown I think of it now but just being very conscious that I was running and that I was avoiding and I could feel it really deeply in the pit of my stomach that I was choosing to not look at the fact that I'd lost her and it was very difficult I I mean the way I've often described it to people and I've heard this from others as well that it does feel like a wound. It feels like something that's too raw to touch and too sensitive. And, and you just, I mean, as you were just saying, actually, you kind of, you want to poke it to test it, but you also don't want to touch it too much because it will, it'll hurt. And I think that was, yeah, I was very conscious of, of what was under the surface, but I was putting it very far under the surface and trying to avoid it. Um, but yeah, I mean, there were a lot of, there were a lot of moments where, it just didn't feel real. And I think traveling was very helpful because lots of stuff was new and, and different and didn't feel real. If I thought about being in London, it was too obvious that I'd lost my mom. Whereas being in different countries just kind of, it had a veneer of, yeah, of like different differentness going on. Yeah, I can I can totally see that and understand that. It's like you're in a different place, so you, you don't have the comforts so you're kind of your heightened awareness about all these other things and your your mind is probably prioritizing what you need to focus on like you need to focus on uh you know learning how to take a taxi uh it's vital or, or get food rather than if you're in london you know it'd be like well that's sometimes as automatic and you don't have to spend the mental energy focusing on those things so you can focus on other things which would be the stuff that you didn't really want to focus on very interesting exactly yeah and ultimately i just i think i was very conscious that if i allowed myself to be in a place of relative comfort and relative relaxation that it would be too much like yeah addressing it all so it was easier to pretend like oh no i don't have time because i'm, I'm stressed about traveling i'm stressed about all this other stuff but i mean i've still had that now with you know after my dad i think I've been very conscious that allowing the grief in is very overwhelming and very scary at the time, but it, it has helped me to do it much quicker or to kind of get through it in a more kind of, yeah, like a, a quicker way. It's a brave moment for people. It's a, it's a, it, it takes an act of courage to, you know, want to put themselves, want to go there. You know, it's like a mountain and, and, it's like peering over the edge of that mountain. You know, there's a lot of fear and anxiety. It could be very painful. So I could totally see how all of us, we, I'm sure at some point, you know, avoid pain. We avoid fear, you know, because we're, we don't want to deal with it. And because it, it is tough. It requires bravery and requires courage. And yeah, I can, that's, that's, um, that's tough. <laughs> I'm curious because I said like you're avoiding I wonder, did you have any dreams of your mom between the time of where that avoidance was most strong? Because I'm really curious because you'd think something would have tried to come through there to remind you in some way. I wonder. I think and one of my um one of my saddest aspects to, to grieving at least my mom, not my dad so much, is that I do feel like I've lost a lot of memories. I think my mom died when I was 20 and I, I really don't feel like I have 20 years worth of, of memory of her. But I think it's also my brain kind of protecting me from going to a place that I still think hurts a bit too much. And same in terms of dreams. I think the interesting, yeah, one of the things that really made me want to talk to you guys in the first place was the dreams that I had when I was about 15, the most, like the most memorable, scary things that I can ever remember prior to my parents dying was that I went through a period of about a few months where I couldn't go to sleep because I was I was absolutely certain that I was going to wake up to one of my parents being dead. And it was real. It felt very, very real. And I was not saying that I kind of predicted the future or anything at all, but I just find it really interesting that it was something I, I definitely had a cognizant fear of that was to do with sleeping. It was to do with when I go to sleep and then wake up, there will be this irrefutable thing that's happened and, and changed in my life and what's really funny is that the dreams that I do have about them they're never dead 
I've never had those dreams where I'm watching them die or the knowledge that they have died. It's always to do with them being alive and having been a mistake and me having to readjust to the concept that they didn't actually die. But I've spent the last however long getting used to the fact that they died. But actually, that's all misunderstanding. And actually, I have to kind of readjust my thinking. And it's more kind of a stress and a struggle that's on me rather than a situational thing that's happened. Oh, that's interesting. It's interesting for, I don't know where to take this, but there's a, so the first thing is right. um, you know, like nine ways I could take this conversation. So, so it doesn't seem like you had many, maybe negative dreams or dreams that were really pointing to the loss of your mother and needed to deal with that grief. Is that, would that be a good saying? And then like after your dad died, you more have those dreams of that they're not dead yet. Would that be like a fair statement or were you having dreams of your mom? like that I think I think I definitely used to have I definitely used to have dreams that involved either kind of having arguments and stuff with both of them and then being fine but having massive arguments or specifically with my mum I don't think I ever had dreams that in that, that were kind of obvious to be things I needed to process or anything but I definitely, yeah, there's definitely been moments where we've we've had disagreements or, or arguments. And I think it's really hard. My mind doesn't want to go there. That's the problem. <laughs> I do this to my therapist a lot. Yeah, I'm not sure. It is interesting to just even just talk about, because I know when you look back, it's hard to know timelines and exactly when dreams happen unless you've sort of written them down and can go back and see the dates and stuff but like to me like that would be very interesting because i would think the dreams would have changed a little bit um from where you are now writing the book and where you were prior i would think that the dreams would have shifted a bit um but maybe not right like it's just one of those things that you know i'm still learning a lot about and that's why i ask a lot of these questions because i'm really curious to sort of see how the mind processes their grief and like what these dreams may represent in someone's grief journey. See, what's what's funny is I know, you know when you essentially tell yourself memories, and by which I mean, I remember by dint of the fact that I now only have positive memories about, uh, positive dreams about my mum, I know that I've I've told myself at some point in the past, oh, this is good, all the dreams I'm having of mum now are nice ones. And that's a change, which means I must have had negative ones, but I can't remember what they are. I wonder if it's it's always been those dreams that you lose almost as soon as you wake up. But there's definitely been remnants of something that hasn't been positive or that's actually been quite upsetting. But I don't remember details enough to even remember they really happened. But mm. I, I do know that now I, I'm very grateful because I think 11, 11 years since my mom died now, every time I have a dream about her, it's usually and I, I love this, it's, it's usually just a chance for us to kind of have a little catch up and, and me to kind of say something, obviously not necessarily relevant to real life, but it's usually us having a bit of a chat and maybe having a hug or it just being something nice, like she's sometimes in my room helping me pack for a, a trip or, or something, and it's usually positive. But I do know that there have been negative things, I just can't remember what they are. It's very interesting in itself, I think. That is really cool. Um, and it could be that you had the dreams, but sort of maybe forgot about them by the time you woke up, right? Like, so like my, mm. like I figure a lot of people, even if they don't remember their dreams, are dreaming about the deceased in many different ways. And if one is avoiding and maybe processing trauma, they're probably having more negative dreams. So it would go with the theme that because you're avoiding, you may have had a little more negative dreams to, and maybe just forgot about them in different ways. Um, even mm. before you woke up or once you had them, you just put it out of your mind and then you, you basically, your mind just didn't save it. Um, but it's, it's nice. It's nice that you're maybe seeing that there is a change and it's nice that you are having these positive dreams now, <laughs> which is great, uh, <laughs> playing catch up with your mom. Is it just your mom in the dreams or is your mom and dad together? See, this is interesting because I, in, in prep for this, I was trying to, yeah, brainstorm my dreams to see what I could remember. Um, and quite bizarrely, I don't really have a recollection of having dreams with both of them in together. 
I think they usually are quite separate. Or rather, maybe they are both there, but I've only got actual kind of visual understanding of one of them. Like, you know, when you know that there's more people, but you don't actually interact with them or see them or anything. Um, and I am very aware that, I mean, my dad and I had a much more tempestuous relationship than I had with my mum. But also he died more, much more recently. And I know that most of the dreams I have with him are still quite difficult. And I know I... I definitely haven't processed everything that happened with him. So, yeah, and I think you know, like, I think it opens up a really interesting conversation of like what dreams we're having, and like maybe what it reflects on the processing, especially when you have multiple losses, because that complicates so much. And we had a, a guest on here recently that had multiple losses, and the difficulty um, that she had processing the, the both of them. And so, but it's if you're having the positive dreams, it could be let's say like you really worked on the grief of your mom. Right. And sometimes what she was saying was like uh, Chelsea, Chelsea right? Rushton. Yeah. yeah. She was saying she had to work on one and then she worked on the other, which I thought was interesting. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And there was definitely um, some residual negative feelings towards her father. Yeah. 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 I think the thing, the thing that really that does kind of upset me is it's not I just I wish it was much more clear cut. I wish it was just, oh, we're having a having a fight or just I, I wish it was kind of something much more easily to easy to understand because the thing that makes me get very upset is is dreaming about their deaths having not really happened but we all know that there was something that happened oh i remembered the mom ones i used to have it was similar oh that's so weird it it was the same thing it was like she'd she would come back after like however long it had been and the fact that she died wasn't actually death it was we, yeah, it was the same thing. It was like, oh, we thought she died, but actually she's just been gone for like seven years or 11 years or however long it is. Um, and then she would just kind of be back as if she'd just gone to the Himalayas for 11 years or something. Um, and that was very difficult because, yeah, it's this, I think I take great pride in having been able to reestablish my life and get myself relatively back on track and kind of rejig how I do things. And the constant unsettling feeling that I might, ha might have to kind of readjust it all again to go back to a life I don't now live anymore with them in it is um yeah it's definitely something I need to process I'm just not sure what it is that I have to process that's interesting because it kind of reflects your need to escape your need to go away for years and maybe part of you as silly and odd as it sounds felt like you know you wanted to leave london and maybe they'll be back when you return you know but the dreams they they reflected that in a way because you you had your parents come in your dreams alive and then the shock that or when you wake up and realize that well they're not alive and that's disturbing but the, just the fact that like there was that distance of you leaving London and everything not really processing too much in your hometown and then coming back and, and facing all that um, that's a that's really interesting but yeah I'd like to add too, like you see those types of dreams especially early on in loss when people are still trying to understand the reality of it all right like it takes a while to for the mind to really know that they're dead and for you to have it say, for so long, but you have also said you avoided, it is part of that. You haven't really got through that first stage, right? In the sense of there was a lot of, um, you said like avoidance or even denial of the reality of it all. And you sort of see that with a lot of other people. And what's interesting is sometimes afterwards, it's, it's just um, there's a message or there's something else that comes afterwards. We talked to someone else on the podcast where it's like your mind. So one, it could be like, a reason for it could be like the avoidance. But another reason is that the mind, when you're dreaming and you see the person, the mind almost gets weirded out. Like how are they here? They're supposed to be dead. And so there's a, so the character usually provides an explanation could be so weird. Like they're just at the gym or they said like they're in the, in the Himalayas <laughs> trying to ground themselves through meditation or something. But then that's really, they're saying that to calm the mind down. So the story can unfold. 
But if this is the story, right, if this is the only aspect of it, it's not really based on that. It's just based on this fact that um, the mind's having a difficulty understanding the truth. And so, yeah, this is it's wild. Like, I, I'm, I'm yeah. glad you came on to share that because these are the things that and the different storylines that you know we don't always hear um, with people that come on. And so it really does talk about the differences in people's journeys and how these dreams do play an aspect of how we remember our loved ones and really how do we start the day? Because you said like these dreams were frustrating because um, it got you sort of uh, a little boggled up when you woke up because you're like, I've spent so much time, like said, like trying to believe that they're dead. And then you have these dreams where they're saying they're not like which one's real kind of thing. Completely. That's, oh, that's so interesting because it's, it's always really amazed me that I mean, I, I, you know, same as you guys, I speak to a lot of a lot of people who've lost people slash parents slash orphans. And obviously dreams do come up because they really can, depending on the intensity of them, they can really filter into your actual your waking time. And they can really sit on you. They can sit on your shoulders for the full day. It's horrible. And I definitely mentioned those dreams of mine before and always been quite amazed that nobody has ever seemed to have that particular level this thing of exactly what you just said much better than I did that you've spent a long so long processing readjusting to the fact that they've gone and then you dream about the fact that they weren't really gone and then you have to yeah it's this horrible kind of push-pull thing but the idea of it being related to travel and me actively trying to run in the first place is very interesting and I really hadn't considered it well, it's not like you meet people. I haven't met a lot of people who travel, right? So like when I look at, when I hear what you're talking about, I also, you know, I try to look at sort of why is, what's different in your life um, versus other people I've talked to. And so that's unique, right? So it's probably unique and maybe it has some impact on what kind of dreams you're having also. But who, you know, said so like, there's still a lot of mystery surrounding it, but it's just interesting to chat about, you know, what it could be. Yeah. And, and just to jump on that as well is you, you also can't, you know, hopefully don't beat yourself up too much about that because that's your journey. That's the process, you know, and if it took you somewhere, then it took you there. And, um, you know, you're, you're back and you're like everybody else, you're human, you're, you're, you're taking it for what it is and processing your, your emotions as they come along. Like life is not as linear as we think it is. And I think grief is definitely not as linear as we think it is. And sometimes, you know, sometimes it feels like we're taking two steps back. Uh, but in reality, I don't think life's like that necessarily. I completely agree. I think it's one of the biggest misconceptions until you've actually gone through grieving. I don't think people quite understand how nonlinear the whole thing is. It doesn't really have any time, time structure to it at all. And I think people maybe assume that just means in terms of how you deal with it. Like it doesn't necessarily get fixed in a, in an upwards um trajectory or anything but it's much more in terms of yeah like kind of the weird cyclical nature of it i can i can still remember such like such vivid memories from the few days after my mom died or you know like at any point in the journey of it and it and same with the dreams like i kind of hadn't thought i was going to ask you what you thought about the recurrence of the same dreams happening because there's definitely like there's some things that i've dreamt that don't really happen again and then as I said, this one where there's just being a misunderstanding, like it comes often. And I, I, I know that it isn't as often now, but I'm sure it happened pretty regularly for at least, at least a while. Again, I can't think of the timeline. I, I don't know when it happened more often, but I know it did. <laughs> so frustrating. Well, it is what it is, right? And so like, if you write it down, it's easy. Like if I, if someone asked me, mm-hmm. you know, put down the dreams where you think they happened, I would get them wrong. You know, like if I don't look at my, the the dreams uh journal that i have i would get them totally and the memories you know kind of faulty that way in the sense of understanding timelines and when things happen but that's fine right like knowing exactly when they happen is not a big deal <laughs> like you didn't know that we're going to talk about dreams anytime in your future <laughs> so <laughs> but yeah repeated dreams are i think those are the those are very important because it's really the mind's trying to tell you something and you're just not getting it kind of thing and if mm-hmm. it, they if they happen like later on, it's like maybe something is tr- being triggered 
that happened when you first had it too. So there's there's a lot of like more clues that you can go off of to understand a dream if it's re if it's repetitive like that. And then usually once you understand the message or whatever that is, um, they'll diminish and stop. And so it's just like it's that's why I like always love the minds trying to speak to you in a new language. And I know you love learning new languages. I believe you stayed somewhere. You wouldn't leave until you learned the language? Yeah, I, I said I wouldn't use South American for until I was fluent in Spanish. <laughs> so yeah, so it's like it's just its own language. So I know that you're good at languages. So this is just one that really uses words or uses pictures than uh, words. And it's really trying to figure out your own language and what it's really representing. And the best way to do that is to understand how you're feeling the day before and what's been going on. And, you know, the more you can understand your waking life and your emotions, the, the easier the dreams will be to find meaning in. So interesting. So cool. I'm glad anyways. I'm glad you're having those uh, those dreams with your mom and you're getting able to time to catch up. Is that something you you would normally do? Uh, try and catch up with my mom? Yeah, to have those conversations. Was that something that was part of your relationship prior? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's a it's a very kind of, what's the phrase? It's a sweet maybe. Um, my mom was always desperate to be friends with me. I was an only child um, and she'd always wanted a kid and, and she adored the fact that she had a daughter. And obviously when I was little, that was fine. And then when I turned into a teenager, I couldn't bear the fact that she was really clingy and wanted to be like friends. Um, and just about maybe like six months before she died, like it had started, it suddenly had started to happen. Like we would, we, I mean, we texted and stuff a lot and we talked on the phone. And we were close, but not to the extent that it it definitely would have been a really, really lovely, close mother-daughter friendship. And it, yeah, it just makes me very sad that I lost that opportunity. But And also, you know, it, there was quite a lot of residual guilt, which I have worked through, but I, I know it, like the legacy of it is still very strong. Um, I felt very guilty for not kind of, I guess, not providing her with that when I knew that she wanted that level of friendship and relationship. and and. I I wanted it too. I just kind of didn't know that I did as a teenager. You know, I was very belligerent. But yeah, no, we were we were definitely close, and, and we would have we would have caught up a lot, I guess. Yeah, that that uh, that's that's tough, and it is bittersweet. But yeah, you, I'm, I'm glad you recognize that you can't be too beat up or guilty, feel guilty about that, because you know that's mm -hmm. uh that's life. That happens to a lot of uh, young kids. You know, you you. You rebel and you have moments and you again like when you were 20 who knows right and and maybe you can continue this bond and 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 move it forward um but yeah i mean it, 25 people are different 30 they're everybody's you know changes and and relationships change and uh being a single child is another actually very interesting fact about that because uh like when I talk to, I have a, I have one older brother and sometimes I will consolidate memories with him um, if I don't, if I'm unsure or unclear about something, uh, when I was a child and you don't have that ability, you don't have that, you know, tool at your disposal to kind of consolidate those memories, right? No, I don't. It's, um, it's a source of, of great sadness. I think right. my, it's fine. I mean, when my, when my dad passed away, that, was a very significant it it was strange because it wasn't I mean it obviously I was mourning my dad but moreover I was mourning the complete loss of my family because it meant that yeah I was the sole proprietor of my family's memories and that was a very scary prospect and also yeah just incredibly sad like the amount of very boring stuff that I can't confirm with either of them and very valuable emotional real stuff that just yeah I'm the only person I mean it, it's it's also it, it's not even just the fact that I'm the only one who remembers it I'm the only one who it has any importance for as well which is really sad you know there's so many little just tidbits of, of memory that don't really matter to anybody else and even if I told someone they'd be like okay yeah that's that's nice but it doesn't mean anything to them and the people it meant something to are both gone so yeah it's a it's a big readjustment to to make and i do wish i had a sibling to to share it with God. yeah no i feel that i feel that you know it's um i mean and, and again like 
the good thing is one well, something that we believe in is um you know continuing bonds and continuing and like you said having chats with your mom um helps helps with that and and hopefully in the future with your father as well but yeah um my heart uh you know it it, it felt that one about just thinking about oh you're a, you're an only child so you don't have that um you know with that uh, a sibling to kind of go over and consolidate some of those memories and and like you said like some some silly things that only you and your family would remember or think about um it's not going to be as important um but it might you never know i mean if i don't know if you have your a spouse or you're seeing someone or whatever i mean you know if that person loves you they'll they'll appreciate your what you have to say about that mm. yeah yeah it's like teaching people who they were now like rather than like for them knowing you have to teach people who your parents were and what they were like and it's like teaching english to the uh <laughs> to people like i know you did before um but yeah like that's its own challenge but it's also gonna be a beautiful one because you get to teach them in in your perspective because so many people have different perspectives of people based on their own experience but you have your own experience that someone else could really engage in and to really be a part of which may be a, a beautiful thing i don't know is that writing your book and talking to other people is that something that is difficult for you or is it something that helps you continue to work through your grief explaining your relationship with your your parents and who they were to you Honestly, it's um, it's been everything, particularly doing um, the final aspects of this book during lockdown and global terror um, has been incredible because the amount of feedback I've had from people has just been phenomenal. And one of the things that I really hadn't even considered happening, I've heard from multiple people saying that they feel like they know my parents and they, that they have such a sense of who they were and of my relationship with them which I mean it's a really wonderfully weird feeling to think that my mum and dad are kind of coming alive in people's heads and I didn't even do that on purpose like that wasn't my intention my intention was more to write something that the actual protagonist of the situation could could use as a tool it wasn't so much about um yeah, bringing my parents to life, as it were. But I'm I'm incredibly grateful that that seemed to have happened for for people who read it. Um, but yeah, I mean, writing the book has been oh, so cathartic. It was. I, I know I mentioned that I was I wrote a book, and that's what led to a breakdown a few years ago. That's actually not this book, but that was another book that I was working on and still haven't finished. Um, but this one uh, was this was kind of built off the back of a of a article I wrote on my website. Um, which was ostensibly just about it was you know a lot of bullet points of kind of how to handle um, grieving your parents at a relatively young age because I lost them both before I was thirty. Um, but this, yeah, writing this has been unexpected in the way that people have have connected with it. I guess I've definitely. I mean, I've had a lot of messages from people over the last couple of years about how to put it being appreciative of me putting their feelings into words because i think for a lot of us it can be very difficult to find the language to explain what we're going through particularly to people who haven't had maybe the same kind of loss or the same gravity of the loss and um, and i think it's really important to be able to put words to some of those emotions and if i can do it for someone else it's even better um because it's exhausting when you're grieving and i think if there are some tools that can just make it a bit easier, um, then I'm I'm very happy to provide that. But yeah, in terms of it helping me process, I think it's it definitely has. I was quite scared of working on it during lockdown because I thought I would. I mean, I'm I'm doing lockdown by myself and stuff, so I thought it'd be quite intense to be working on a very vulnerable um, piece of writing. But it's actually been really nice, and as I said, the feedback has been really great. So. Yeah, well, you know, and, and that's not, that's amazing, you know, and what you're doing is, you know, you're carving out that legacy of your parents and sharing that legacy with others. And just that alone is is pretty, 
pretty amazing. You're putting that into the ethos and, and into the into the world, into universe. But the fact that you also have impacted people, um, I think that that's a very special thing that you had the ability and you've had the ability to actually make changes in people's lives, even if it's on a daily basis. Like someone's going through some stuff and they read something that uh, in your book and and it says, oh, and that person can say to themselves, oh, you know, my mom used to do that. And if you can, you know, have that bond, even not, if it's not physical, but just through the written language with that individual, that can, that changes that person's day. And they might be able to think to themselves, oh, someone else, has gone through this. Someone else has felt the emotions, the pain that I felt, and maybe you've given them a little more encouragement to kind of move forward, you know, through writing that book, through even just telling your parents' history. You know, it also made me think about, like, in terms of legacy, like, legacy and, and memory sometimes, they're short-lived in, in a family, even. Like, I don't know anything about my great grandparents. Like, it takes one generation for you to kind of forget things, you know. But at the same time, it seems like there's something else innate in us that connects us. Um, so even if we don't have actual memories per se, I do believe that there is something connecting us in that familial sense. Um, and you've you've taken it a step further and, and actually written down some of those words in a book. So, yeah, that's pretty pretty um, pretty amazing stuff. And I, I think that you just putting it out there and also um, sharing with other people is 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 phenomenal. Thank you. Yeah, I uh, I hear what you're saying, Sean, and I think it's amazing because you you hear that with songs, right? Songs can help you get through a lot of different cer certain circumstances, and they paint the picture, but you get put inside of it. And reading a book in someone else's words also does the same thing. Because I've read books and it's just about people's lives, you know, fiction, nonfiction. And it can take you to a place where it helps you rethink certain things that you're, you're going through, you're currently going through. And since people are, for the most part, are buying or reading the book or buying the book and have suffered a loss of some sort, they can, if they're early in their grief, they're going to be processing things or seeing things from your perspective to help them in, problem solve a little bit more and and um, normalize the experience people who maybe a little bit after will relook at certain things that they may not have questioned before and i think all those things are beautiful and so way to go way to use your skill in life to enrich other people's lives to help them as they move forward and so i'm really curious what are some tips or some things that are in the book that maybe our listeners would find uh, interesting or could relate to well, some of the things that people have, have mentioned specifically as being really helpful. Firstly, I wrote an entire chapter about um, anticipatory grief because um, my mum died relatively quickly and my dad was clearly dying for at least six months or so. So they were very different experiences. And with my dad, I think the trauma of watching him getting to a place of dying was probably almost as probably more traumatic than like the legacy afterwards and the dealing with his actual death because there's there's just so much that happens in that time period and it, it's very active it's it's constantly changing and you can't really put your trust in any of it and it makes you very very shaky and that was the first place that I really felt like I was starting to lose my mind and I think it doesn't get talked about that much so I think that's really important to kind of shine a bit of a light on and so and what's your... very quickly so how do how did you looking back what would you have done differently or what like what have you learned about that process that could have helped you a little bit more i think that when you know somebody's dying but they haven't died yet for some reason maybe it's societal we're kind of we're instructed to ask for help when someone dies but maybe not so much when we're waiting for someone to die and i was very i mean i shied away from from asking for help from multiple sources i was talking to my friends a lot but i wasn't really kind of asking for the professional help that was there until it was essentially hoisted on me um so i would definitely think 
it's important to to yeah reach out to people and i don't just mean reach out for support in terms of you know caring text messages but will you fill my fridge because i have to keep spending every single day driving back and forth from the hospice will you i mean i don't have children but for instance will you take the kids to school and will can they stay at your house while i deal with all of this there's a lot of actionable support that maybe doesn't happen to the extent that it can um and there's also a level of of trying to kind of again if you haven't gone through it you're kind of not really aware of it but some people don't seem to understand the full gravity of what's happening like when you're watching someone die your entire world is preoccupied with that and there's so much other stuff that normally you would be doing that you you just there's no space for it and i think yeah being able to kind of actually put your focus onto the person who's going rather than constantly feeling pulled to the other stuff that's going on um if you can find people to help you sort out all the other stuff it's really helpful um yeah it's a very difficult time though yeah um there's a a book and then there's also a movie a monster's call you know oh, yeah, I've heard of it. I haven't. I haven't seen it. I think oh. it might be quite <laughs> it's all about anticipatory grief. You would love it, actually, mm. <laughs> and it has a grief wow. dream in it too. So, um, oh. kudos, kudos to them for putting that in there. <laughs> 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 because yeah, like just as grief dreams can happen after loss, there's those ones that reflect our um, the issues that we're currently dealing with, and when you're in anticipatory grief too. So. Um, it's interesting. So I'm glad you're touching on that because you're right. Like you really don't hear about that. And I'm I'm glad. And even just at any time in, in life, I know I have a hard time um, getting that stage where I ask for help. And it's just something that it's almost it's weird. I don't know maybe I'm a guy, maybe it's the way I was raised. But like you, you tend not to reach out when you could. And you, so you really fight through it until like, you don't unless like you're really out then like you go but if like if you it's like a 50 50 you could ask for help or you know you could do it yourself and like just struggle a little bit i always go for struggling a little bit it's <laughs> in there, in there. God, you're like almost ready to die and then, then you're like ah, oh, someone help please you're like drowning and then like a hand is just you know it's terrible yeah yeah we all do it it's 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 really i don't know what it is but yeah, why do we do it though? yeah i know <laughs> We have a hard time reaching out, even the people who love us the most, and we just want to take that burden on our back, you know, carry that load. And I just, I don't know, I want to look into that a little more. Yeah. Well, it's also, I mean, there's another chapter I wrote about, um, essentially, to the people who are supporting someone else through grief, which, and I think, yeah, it's relevant to what you just said, because I think a lot of the time you, it's almost too hard to ask for specific help. And so if, if someone just says like, oh, there's anything I can do, you're like, yeah, sure, but I'm not going to chase you up on that because it's just too much. It's too complicated. I, I mean, how am I supposed to really ask for the help that I need, which is can you slow the world down so I don't have to deal with this yet? Or like, can you stop the fact that this is about to happen? You know, and those things aren't really ever possible. Um, but if someone actually says a specific thing, you know, what are you up to this week? Can I help with X, Y, Z? As I said, can I fill your fridge for you? Yeah. Can I walk your dog? Yeah. Um, I'm going to bring some food round. I'll drop it on the doorstep. You don't need to worry about like letting me in or anything, but I'll just drop it round. Um, like things that are very specific are so helpful because it takes all the pressure off you. And I think people often want to. <laughs> it's like a it's like a respectful thing. Oh, I won't bother her with with you know with anything pressurized. I'll I'll let her yeah. ask me. But of course, you don't have any space in your brain to ask for a specific thing. And also, yeah. you're worried that if they let you down, then it's going to be even more upsetting for you. So, specifics is very valuable. Um, but I think you know even when I've been supporting other people through grief, I forget that too because it's so indoctrinated. The behaviors are so like deep set in into kind of how you're supposed to behave in grief that you. Yeah, you don't necessarily do the things that I literally tell people to <laughs> to do. It's um, yeah, it's a weird one. Yeah, that's how, that. Well, that's helpful. Is that rewording how you ask for help is very important mm -hmm. because and and I'm just thinking out loud here, but like I think there was a couple things. One, I think a person feels like that's their pain that they have to burden, uh, that they have to take on, and not someone else's. 
So it's their responsibility to kind of take on that pain, even, even if they don't really completely vocalize that. And then I think the other aspect of it is that person who's in pain is so sensitive at that point that like maybe they have a fear, even if it's irrational, that if I ask for help and it's not given the way I want it to be given, that that could that they're so sensitive and hurt that they could carry on more hurt mm. and get hurt by that person who didn't do that thing that they needed, you know, and that's mm-hmm. where like the people like you said, people who love them and care for them and want to help them have to do some of the work for them and just say either, hey, um, I'm bringing over food. Would you want spaghetti or would you want chili or, you know, just just <laughs> narrowing down that question. So it's less of a yes or no and more about like, I'm doing this. What would you prefer? Obviously, you got to know the person. <laughs> Or just surprise dropping off, you know, something, you know, maybe, you know, that they love brownies, drop off a tray of brownies. And that way that person isn't obligated to, they're so hurt and going through some stuff that I, they probably don't want to make those type of decisions at that point. And sometimes you just have to go ahead and do it. Right. Completely. I mean, some of the best things that happen, I mean, again, you know, my, my support system is fantastic. My friends are fantastic, but even even that kind of gesturing didn't necessarily happen that much to the extent that I remember only a couple of occasions that really impacted on me and there was a girl that I went to school with who I hadn't seen for a decade and just after my dad died she she messaged me on Instagram got my address and I was quite worried because I was like I don't have the energy to handle like a conversation or inviting someone in or whatever she knocked on my door and just gave me a box filled with like delicious chocolate and some um, like a really nice book and some bath stuff and um, it was just the most lovely gesture and and she'd had a she'd had a loss herself quite a while before and she was like oh no, no I'm not coming in don't worry I just wanted you know to make you feel a bit better today and it was just the most amazing gesture it was so lovely and I think what was really important was there were no strings there was nothing I had to expend like your energy is very valuable because it's very low prior to grief and during and that was just yeah there was I had I didn't have to do anything but I just got a really nice a the the action was really lovely but also the actual box full of stuff was really lovely and yeah just that kind of stuff is really really helpful it's so beautiful to hear what a beautiful experience to have in the sense of the individual just knowing in in her own way and doing something like such an act of kindness to really reflect what people can do. Cause I, I don't think I had anyone, no, I, I didn't have anyone do that um, when my father died. So it's like, you see those stories and you're like, yeah, that would have been great. <laughs> like that. <laughs> and so it's just a reflection of, you know, maybe for those people who are helping individuals who are grieving, different things that they could do that, you know, they may not have thought of because until someone says it, you're like, oh, I should have, like, cause I've had friends um, who've had losses and I never done that either but I never also expected that but you have these conversations right and you realize oh that's something I could have done like, <laughs> like yeah. my bad you know like <laughs> <laughs> sure. and also, I mean, the, the joy the joy of all those postal things now which have clearly had a great practice run for, from during COVID is it, it's so easy like you can very easily send as you said like a box of brownies or you know, there's there's so many potentials for just reminding people. Another thing, just because I, I, I do think this is a really valuable one, is that I definitely get messages from people on kind of big days, like anniversary days and stuff. Not so much now because it's been a long time since my parents, well, since my mom, definitely. But what's actually really so much more valuable is when you get like a text on a random Tuesday of a friend just being like, just hoping you're okay and hoping you're not grieving or hoping that the grief isn't too heavy today and not on like a kind of auspicious day but just on a moment that they are reminding you that they care um because that doesn't take any time at all and it's so easy to do and like a lot of the time I think we do think about our friends and we're thinking lovingly of them but not necessarily telling them and it's kind of an upside of grief I guess is that you do suddenly remember just how important telling people that kind of care is that kind of love I definitely say it more often to my friends than I used to, I think. That's beautiful. It's just reminding. It's just a reminder to share how you feel because 
it feels better <laughs> when you can share how you feel, but also you don't know what can happen, right? Like you don't, you want your last, last memories to be something positive to, and to reflect saying they knew how I felt, right? Like that. So that's not going to be a regret. Exactly. Oh. Wow. Okay. That's beautiful. And then, so I just want to say, so what did it feel like getting that book in the, the mail? I saw your video you posted on your Instagram channel and i was just i was smiling it was so beautiful and like to see someone caught up in the moment and i don't know like it's so weird because i don't know if i would film myself being in the moment you know like i usually I'll just have a moment then like oh okay now i'm going to say something or film something but it seemed like you filmed it knowing you're going to have a moment <laughs> and so what was that like for you <laughs> i mean hilariously like if you watch that you might assume that i do that all the time that's probably the first time i've ever filmed myself doing something in that respect at all but i'm it's not like i've ever been a youtuber who does like unboxing videos or anything like that. it's not something i've ever entertained i don't really like being on video um and i wasn't really planning on sharing that at all but then when i watched it back i just felt very kind of protective of my reaction i just thought it was really i don't know it was just, it just felt really honest and i haven't shared i haven't been sharing while i've been writing this book like I kind of kept it quite close to my chest I kind of enjoyed doing the big ta-da I've written a book and then I, yeah for some reason I just thought oh why not let's just post it and yeah it's been a really nice response because I went through a hell of a lot of emotion just in that little clip because it was it was very very exciting and then I kind of got the full enormity of yeah. what I was reacting to and then I really wanted to be able to show my parents that I'd done this thing and of course, that is the one thing I cannot do. I couldn't have written it if they hadn't died. Um, so yeah, it was a it was a little little roller coaster of emotions there. Um, but unpacking it was amazing, and I've got a pile of them now that I'm looking at, which is still quite surreal. But yeah, I'm very I'm very proud of myself. I'm very proud of having put this together, and also the cover is stunning. So I'm I'm very thankful to my amazing cover designer. Um, yeah it's a uh, hopefully the first of the first of many i plan to write many more books so fingers crossed yeah it's emotional it brings tears to my eyes watching you you know because you can tell there's there's some mixed mixed stuff there and some joy and, and probably some relief and some you know just beautiful moments though really, really cool mm -hmm. that you filmed that I like how you uh, you say it has a spine. Oh my God, there's pages in here. <laughs> like it's like you never looked at a book before, but it's like but you're caught up into that genuine nature of oh my God, this is real, and that's what you're saying. And I think that's why I, th I think it's so enjoyable to watch. <laughs> well, it's also because I um I published the ebook first, and having it on a Kindle screen, you know, that was the first moment of me kind of seeing it as a book in inverted commas but it is in no way comparable like having it on a screen is not the same as having it with a real spine the spine is the key yeah now you can invite people over and you know just casually you know point towards the bookshelf and then just casually point towards your book i mean you know it it, it lends for a lot of conversations it does although i think you may have got my character wrong casual is not part of the equation <laughs> Definitely subtly not so subtly people, yeah throwing people towards the bookshelf and pointing ha, have, at it with flashing lights yeah you have one copy on the coffee table one in the kitchen <laughs> one on the bookshelf one in the washroom one, yeah, yeah. It's just like, yeah i don't want to tell you how many books i have listed around my house currently they are in every viewpoint i can see them on purpose because i want to keep reminding myself what i did that's beautiful and i think you so say like it's important to remind ourselves what we do we yeah. uh I, I think, you know, like, especially like even with the like finishing the PhD and stuff, how easy my mind just said, oh, that's done. And you move on to the next thing without really sitting with the joy and the magnitude of what you've done. And writing a book is no joke. And so not only to write it, but you wrote it on a specific topic that means something truly to you that caused you to like break down, right? Like in, in the first instance of writing that first book. The second one's more based on helping others. So there's a different focus, it seems, in this one. But to, to go that way and to really tackle it head on and to really go back through your memories on what was helpful, what wasn't, 
and to write all about that stuff. I think it's phenomenal. And so it's not just a book. It's a book that really reflects on holding your own suffering and holding your own your own grief while you write. And that's that's a very difficult task to do. Yeah, I I definitely agree with that. I think actually, yeah, just going back a little to what you said earlier that um, it's it's a very strange part of of being a kind of creative person as, as you do often tend to or not even creative person just I think current attitudes to to achievement are very much you work and work and work towards that achievement and then you you do it and you barely give yourself enough time to recognize it's happened before you move on to the next thing and it's yeah it's quite sad because obviously that thing has been such a you know a pinnacle of whatever for a long time and then suddenly it's just over and forgotten so um it is important to kind of take some time and recognize it the only sad thing is of course lockdown has meant that I really haven't got to celebrate it in a way I would have liked to but there's more time for that I guess when things calm down what uh what were you hoping for well I would have I would have given myself a launch party I would have hired somewhere and made my friends all celebrate me for a night it would have been great um (laughs) as it was I, I drank a bottle of wine with my neighbor across the fence which was equally joyous but um yeah it would have been (laughs) would have been nice to have my friends around but i think it'll happen later hopefully and i guess i think the 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 online support is also like a really nice thing to have because obviously in lieu of having you know physical physical support around having lots of social media stuff is really nice too so we always ask on the podcast if you have a dream tonight of someone who died you know what would that dream look like and it's as you're talking about that like oh it would be cool for you to have like a a book launch party and like your parents being there and stuff, but I don't want to put you know words yeah. in your mouth. I was just like in my own mind, I'm like that'd be really cool for someone to have um, that didn't get a chance to do that. So, uh, what kind of dream would you want to have tonight if you could of someone who has died? That's um, well, now I'm gunning for that dream, aren't I? That's, <laughs> that's a great idea. Let's see if I can channel it. I've only got like two hours before I go to sleep, so maybe I can make that happen. Hey, um, that's the best time. If it does happen, I will tell you. I will let you know in the morning. Please yeah, put in your I next book. <laughs> I could. I could. How a podcast precipitated my dream. I think <laughs> I I would love to mm, I would love to just be able to have maybe a, a I mean it's been over 11 years since my family were the three of us and I don't think I really ever have that dream and I think it would be quite nice to just be able to have a normal just situation with my parents in a dream none of this frustrating oh it's a misunderstanding you didn't die like it's very annoying I don't want that anymore but I would be it would be nice to just have a normal setting and just I don't know just like having a meal or something I don't know would that meal like would that be something like you cook would you be at a restaurant like so what would the location and what kind of meal would you would you think about having uh my dad my dad used to cook pretty lavish stuff he used to make a lot of curries from scratch like he'd cover the kitchen table with all these little dishes and he'd he'd we discovered very very late in the game like when he was dying that he almost certainly had ocd and i kind of wish we'd known that earlier because it would have explained a lot <laughs> but he used to cover the table with um, very specific, you know, all the kind of two, uh, what's it, like two cloves of garlic, like chopped up really fine in one little saucer and then like a chili diced finely in another saucer and little spoons of turmeric in different little places and stuff. And it was it was very kind of meticulous and careful. And I've just got such lovely memories of, yeah, my mum just wanting to eat all the food he was making and being very dramatic about tasting it and you know the first mouthful making all these like oh delicious reactions and and all that kind of stuff it'd be yeah it would just it would be lovely to be able to have that kind of meal again in my house around the kitchen i want to find a woman who supports me like that (laughs) 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 even if it doesn't taste you'll be be in That's beautiful. I hope you uh, you can have a dream, something similar to that tonight, since you're going to bed very shortly. Um, <laughs> because you said, like, it's amazing the small stuff that we miss. And it's not really like these grand adventures as much as you're an explorer. 
sometimes it's just the simple things in life that when we look back, it's not about traveling to the moon and having a dream there. It's just about sitting at home, having some dinner like we used to. And, you know, I think that's beautiful. And it's a beautiful aspect of who you are, you know, and, and what I think too, like your mission is and really getting back to the basics on helping people, you know, where they are and allowing them to sort of see, see some uh, pathway in front of them. So is there uh, anywhere, so let's go through your, your stuff. So where can people find the book, um, remind people where they can follow you and watch that video of you opening the book. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the video is on um, my Instagram account. It's on the IGTV bit. It's the first IGTV I've ever done. Uh, all like one and a half minutes of it. Um, but yeah, my Instagram is at Baker, and my Twitter is the same. Uh, my blog, my website is floradeexplorer.com. Um, and the book, which of course I call the Adult Orphan Club, and you mentioned it as the Adult Orphan Club, which is so interesting because I haven't heard it in an American voice <laughs> before, and it changes. Hey, we're Canadian. <laughs> oh, oh no! <laughs> That's all right. That's okay. <laughs> well, regardless, it does still change in some <laughs> But um, yeah, the the Adult Orphan Club um, is on. Amazon. It will be on Amazon.ca. I'm sure. I've I've checked it before. Um, but yeah, it's available as an ebook and as paperback. And I'm biased, but the paperback is very pretty. So I would recommend that one. It sure is. Um, <laughs> yeah, Flora. Thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. Appreciate you um, letting us into our, into your life and telling us about your journey and your journey thus far. And uh, again, thank you so much. Oh, quick question before we uh, end this. Does your mm -hmm. book talk about dreams at all? Was that ever mentioned in there? Oh, if only I could do a, a control find on the actual book. I don't have it with me. Um, I think I have mentioned, I think I have somewhere. I don't have a definable moment of remembering though, I'm afraid. I have to get back to you. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, get back to us and uh, we'll definitely mention that maybe on our Instagram page. Uh, yeah, so for our stuff, please check out our platform at griefdreams.ca for more information on the topic. If you'd like to contribute to us, uh, to the podcast, you can do so on our website. There are links there uh, that'll lead you to a place where you can contribute. Uh, if you have Facebook, you can join the Grief Dreams group. You can share your dreams or hear more dreams of others. And we are on Twitter and Instagram at Grief Dreams. And as always, we like to end the podcast with love and gratitude from us to you. Myself, you have introduced yourself. This is a very good conversation.